0: Hey everybody, I'm Kevin. And I'm Kayla. We love movies. And talking about them. This is a very special episode of The Martini Window. Today, on the day after seeing a double feature that has been completely taking over the internet, we are here to talk about the phenomenon known as Barbenheimer, a current phenomenon that just had its opening weekend. And I might going say, both these movies were fantastic. We don't have any guests on today's episode, but we have Kayla and I talk about our experience is going to the double feature, that is, Barbenheimer. Kayla would like to start.
1: Both of these movies were amazing. <laughs> I am very glad we did the only correct order to do this in, as in Oppenheimer first and Barbie
0: second. So there are going to be spoilers for both Barbie and Oppenheimer here. We'll try to keep it as light as we can. People still haven't seen the movie. This episode is really more so about the current phenomenon, the double feature. Anybody saw the double feature? Elements about the movie for sure. There'll be light spoilers in this episode, but not full spoilers. How does that sound?
1: I think that sounds fair.
0: Like, I think a light spoiler is Oppenheimer built the atomic bomb. I don't think that's a big spoiler.
1: I think <laughs> that's just world history.
0: It's it's kind of like, you know, I watched Titanic years ago, someone spoiled to me the ending, I was like, ugh.
1: I had someone spoil the ending to Saw for me. I've never never gotten over that
0: (laughs) in late 2020 the world was in a different place the world had shut down there was a virus taking over and christopher nolan had decided to release a movie in theaters at a time where no one said it was a smart idea that movie was tenet which eventually led to the breakup between christopher nolan and warner brothers pair that up with warner brothers choice at the time to release all their 2021 catalog on HBO max And it set us up for where we are today. Nolan took his next movie, which was going to be a biopic of the creator of the atomic bomb, J. Robert Oppenheimer, the aforementioned Oppenheimer. And he was going to take this to Rival Studios, the result being Universal coming out in the highest bid for Oppenheimer, which Warner Brothers took personally.
1: (laughs) Yes. And then Warner Brothers greenlit the Barbie movie.
0: Which I want to point out, too, there's even a history behind that. The Barbie movie started out as what probably would have ended up being a uh, rather standard comedy. It had Amy Schumer in the lead. I can't remember who they had directing. I think it was Tim story. I'm not certain. But it was an Amy Schumer flick at the time. She leaves the movie. Margot Robbie's company, Lucky Chap Entertainment, uh, puts together a deal to produce a new Barbie movie with Mattel. Mattel is trying to create a new brand for the toys and new needs to sell the toys, of course. So Margot Robbie picks up the role. Right off the bat, we have this whole brand new Barbie that we know we're going to get in, I would argue, probably some of the best casting you could have ever imagined. There was actually apparently a minute between Amy Schumer and Margot Robbie where Anne Hathaway was being looked at. Oh, wow. She would have been great, too.
1: She would have. However, I what I really love about Margot Robbie in this is that she personally sought out Greta Gerwig herself.
0: And that's the next point I was going to say is that Margot Robbie actually sought out Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig to write this script, the Oscar-nominated screenwriting couple and indie darlings. Noah Baumbach, of course, is responsible for such films as Marriage Story, The Meyerowitz Stories Before and After, and the recent White Noise on Netflix. Greta Gerwig at this time had a fair number of acting credits. Moving forward to the point we got here, where she has now written and directed two critically acclaimed Oscar-nominated films in Lady Bird and Little Women. So this is the studio debut for Greta Gerwig, and this is what we end up getting: is you give an indie auteur, an art house director, the Barbie IP, and I don't think I've seen a more existential movie since Cloud Atlas.
1: <laughs> the writing is somehow very intelligent and snappy, and it has a lot of points to make, and it. I really connected with this movie. I really loved what the movie was saying and considering we're not really going into spoilers. Light spoilers. Light spoilers. Okay. So with the Barbie movie, I find that it really shows the line between the reality of the world and the dream Barbie was selling. When I was a child, Barbie was a doctor, a president, an astronaut. Barbie could do all of these things but then going into the real world after you've been given a toy to live out your dreams. And it's not like that. It's not like the dream that the toy company is selling. It's not like the movies and having to navigate that while still keeping your idealism and hope for the world and hope that you can do things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it really drives a huge theme of that. And what I find kind of crazy is that there's almost an inverse of these themes in Oppenheimer. So what I want to point out, the Oppenheimer-Barbie double feature concept was something created by the internet. So as I was saying earlier, Warner Brothers took this personally, ended up moving their film that was supposed to release this weekend, which was Coyote vs. Acme, starring John Cena which, and Will Forte, which was supposed to come out this weekend. It's been pushed further down the line. They ended up putting forward one of the biggest tent pools of the year, Barbie, against Oppenheimer. And the internet went wild. It was a period of time where we got to have this mindset of, one of these is obviously gonna shift. One of these is obviously gonna move. But the internet hype behind this it was already starting to become a thing long before this last month. They were already looking at shifting uh, bar they're already looking at shifting release dates for things like a few months ago. And they even made the point that Barbie will not move. And the Universal made the point that Oppenheimer will not move. I think Universal was doing that because they had a deal in place with Christopher Nolan when they first actually signed on the movie about release windows, stuff like that. But that was Warner Brothers very much trying to be like, no, 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 we're sticking it to Nolan. And I think they also saw the money in this though. I think they saw the internet hype. We haven't seen this level of internet hype ever. Some people are trying to use the Stakes on a Plane comparison. Um from two thousand six. Back in two thousand six, you had what? MySpace and what else? Emma MSN two thousand six? What I don't remember what we had, but we had MySpace. We know that. But that's where a lot of the stuff about Stakes on a Plane was coming through. Now obviously for that one, we we'll know MSN Messenger. Yeah, MSN Messenger. And so obviously we know back we know from back then that that did not translate the way to actual box office dollars the way they thought they was going to do which i think is another reason why this entire phenomenon to do with the double feature of two wildly different movies has has created such a stir because as we saw from this weekend at the box office like these movies are doing gangbusters right now and i think it's the first time that we can actually recognize the internet meme being one of the driving factors
1: i also what i really like about this is the outcome of this is very wholesome it's it's people working together it's it like as long as ever since I was young I've loved both Star Wars and Star Trek and I've always had people say you can't like both you have to pick one It's there's there's always been a culture of pitting IPs against each other and it's almost ridiculous pitting Oppenheimer against Barbie because they're vastly vastly different movies but what I love is that the internet said, no, we're going to make it a double feature because both of these look great and you're comparing apples to oranges.
0: And that's the thing. So now all of a sudden you have these two wildly different kind of fan bases going in and making it better for both films. Like I'm looking at the box office right now and Barbie has made its money back in its first weekend. And I don't think we've seen movies in general do that for a while, unless they're at the budget of something like a horror film with like 20 million or less, right? Which actually on that note, I want to point out, Lionsgate, what are you doing? You had Cobweb, an original IP, well-received horror film, come out this weekend against one of the biggest uh, media movie moments of the year. Why was your horror movie with Lizzie Kaplan? Cobweb, great movie. People should check it out. Why was it not released in October of this year? That's another conversation for another day. Spooky <laughs> movies for Halloween. Spooky movies for Halloween, hashtag. What I would say though, is that Barbie, for instance, had a budget of $145 million. Dollars, which I also want to point out too, we have a lot of discussions about bloated budgets and stuff like that. I think the set design alone in Barbie is where a lot of that money went. Definitely, if you haven't seen this movie, these sets are brilliantly built, like they, they're they reminiscent of the big era of big Hollywood from the era of Cleopatra and then Ben Hur and stuff like that. That's the scale of which they're building Barbie World to me, and I at least to a modern concept. It has that artificial, that beautiful artificialness that I think Greta Gerwig actually mentioned on a, on a YouTube video recently on the Letterboxd. Watch this, but I'm watching this right now. $145 million for the budget opening weekend worldwide, and I guarantee you this has at least partially to do with the Barber phenomenon. $337 million worldwide. Domestic alone was 155, so already covering their budget before marketing, from domestic alone first weekend that happened who would have been and that on top of that too you have Oppenheimer same thing we have a three hour uh talk heavy three hour biopic that just came out a historical biopic that just came out with a budget of 100 million dollars and it's opening weekend that worldwide it made 174 million I you know you can sell all you want about this being Christopher Nolan but that's a three hour talk heavy biopic that they just got hordes of like young impressionable people to go see I think this is one of those situations where you literally had the entree and the dessert and both were of high ass quality. Absolutely. And
1: what we've talked a fair bit about Barbie so far, but switching back to Oppenheimer, what I really liked is even though this is a historical movie, the way that Christopher Nolan pieced it together and like his use of sound design and, and, basically just the complexity of how this entire project came together and all of the factors in it there were parts that felt like a plot twist even though i know what's happened
0: yeah exactly right and on top of that too like he edits this movie like the way he cuts and writes and edits this movie i don't think any scene in oppenheimer was longer than like a minute long Like every single one was very short to the point got you moving like, a movie that mostly discusses science and techno babble and, and politics and all that should not feel like it has the intensity of a disaster movie or an action film. But, like, you're finding yourself not being able to pull away from the screen on this. That's what I found fascinating about that. And to counter that, too, like, with, with this whole double feature concept with, uh, where it came to Oppenheimer, there's actually themes between Oppenheimer and Barbie that I think are a lot more uh, connected than people tend to think. Your place in the world, what you've done for the people around you, what the world uh, what the world sees you as, and what it wants to put you as. And it's like, obviously, it's purely by coincidence, but I do think there's actually similarities between the stories of both Barbie and G. Robert Oppenheimer in these two movies. I mean, Barbie was a far more existential movie than I would have expected.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Who was your favorite Barbie?
0: Oh, my favorite Barbie. I know who your favorite Barbie was.
1: I... <laughs> I love weird Barbie. I'm a huge Kate McKinnon fan.
0: Yeah.
1: And I definitely had a weird Barbie as a child that may or may not have been a circus performer with paint in their hair. Yeah, you did. I, when I was a child and I played with Barbies, I would take handkerchiefs and tape strange space queen outfits on them and perform space operas in my living room. My mother would buy me normal Barbies then walk into my bedroom and just kind of shake her head at me. I think she was probably thinking, like, what have you done to the toys, child?
0: Yeah. What I will say is, about the Barbie movie, Margot Robbie was stellar as what they refer to in the movie as stereotypical Barbie. Oh, yes. I I love that they literally just say stereotypical Barbie. But my God, Ryan Gosling in this movie yeah, beach Ken. He, he's yeah, he's he's beach Ken. <laughs> he can't even surf. He can't even surf. He's not trained for that. He, he's he's beach. That's his job. He's not even lifeguard Ken. No, it, a, a mistake he'll consistently make. No, uh, Ryan Gosling in this movie was next level. I like people were saying a lot that this is actually an Oscar worthy performance from him, and I actually am inclined to agree. A hundred percent. Uh completely. And what I find kind of crazy is the internet's gone berserk. The right wing have gone berserk over this whole anti-man accusation about barbie and i'm here to actually say i think first off i think anytime you hear anti-man accusations of movies you got to take a look at who the hell's saying it secondly i would argue this movie is actually the opposite of that and this movie seems to celebrate center celebrate you know gender freedom regardless of back and forth it seems to celebrate more just the concept of individuality
1: i would also argue that a lot of the anti-man Themes in this movie aren't necessarily, you know, all all of the men are bad or all of the men are toxic. It reads to me more like what a twelve-year-old boy or a young boy would think if he picked up a book on the patriarchy and that's all with Ryan a Gosling. very simple understanding of it.
0: Ryan Gosling here isn't supposed to be the red pill the andrew tate type he's the he's the weak confused 12 year old boy 13 16 year old boy who just got hooked on andrew tate that's what he is and that's what i think a lot of people are really missing out on is that even the whole point with ken in this along with barbie barbie doesn't need to be what people tell her she is she wants to be you know she says at that one point i want to be the one imagining i don't want to be the item right that may have been a spoiler but i'm gonna leave that in (laughs) but you know you have ken same thing where it's just like He is so pushed by and moved by what he sees men are supposed to be like, where he's now fallen to that toxic trap constantly that many men do fall into, where they see themselves as, oh, you're only a man based on the woman you have access to, by the image you put forward, by how masculine you are, how many brewski beers you drink.
1: (laughs) I I would also argue that within this movie, I actually feel very bad for candidates, kind of seems to me like a reverse adam and eve situation where ken was created for barbie like ken's whole design and mentality he was barbie's boyfriend and then just best friend yeah after they broke up in 2016 i believe
0: yeah 2016 2018 something like
1: that and and then uh, we didn't see blaine unfortunately blaine the surfer guy that she uh got with after ken (laughs) 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 but uh but what i would say is Ken doesn't have a a lot of, like, core to himself. He has no idea who he is. He was designed to be Barbie's accessory. I understand what they were doing with the toxic masculinity thing because if you don't have a, a base of knowing who you are, it's very easy to fall for, yeah. you know, unless everybody meets in the middle and can actually listen to each other's perspective and it, like... It goes both ways. There is inequality in both genders, in different areas, and let's be honest, the system isn't fair in really any way. Sometimes one gets better, sometimes the other doesn't, and just because one side is hurting it doesn't mean the other side isn't hurting in similar yet different ways. There's a lot of contradictions in society, and I can understand why people would get angry and upset. I can see how if you're a young boy you're you're trying to basically give yourself some power in the world how you could get onto these toxic notions but it doesn't help us become better as people subjugating another person doesn't make it better
0: the way that Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach were able to actually tackle that uh, wave of disaffected young youth that uh, going into these very problematic and that oftentimes very dangerous mindsets was highly uh, portrayed in this movie in a way that I thought was very effective. Literally, he he learned about, he was disaffected, he learned about how men should be in charge. I Nobody sees the quotations I'm putting in that statement, by the way. <laughs> but quote-unquote men in charge a lot, he brought that back to Barbie Land immediately because he felt this is the solution to my sadness.
1: And you do definitely see why Ken is sad. He doesn't have any sense of self. Yeah. And I I think also with with the Barbie movie, there's it's not just the Andrew Tate stuff, but it's the way people have to navigate the world. Yeah. With with its complexities. And I find that It does a very good job of showing how frustrating it is to try and be perfect
0: all the time. Yeah, I should say that for sure.
1: Regardless of the toxic masculinity in the movie, it's everyone there has to be perfect all the time. And if you're not perfect, you get ostracized, which is why I love the Kate McKinnon weird Barbie. Yeah. Yeah i was a weird kid so so... (laughs) i was entirely ostracized but i was the weird kid
0: i just want to point out the running gag in this movie of every time barbie sees weird barbie just like just like it's or spook was so funny to me every single time just how kate mckinnon portrayed is like yeah yeah there's the reaction see happens every time like that kind of thing
1: yeah she just knows what the world's really like and she's like you got you guys don't get it yet
0: so I want to go back to the double feature concept. What do you feel? This has been one of the biggest weekends in movies since to, uh, since at least Top Gun Maverick, and I believe this one might have even beat Top Gun in its box office. What do you feel was a big driving factor behind this moment? Like we went to go see Barbie, and that was—and I'm not exaggerating here—that was the first time we've been in a theater since the pandemic, since before the pandemic, where every single theater seat was sold every single one and i have not seen that for any movie that we've seen since pandemic so many people dressed in pink so many people dressed as pink dressed in pink and what i love about it is that you can tell these people i saw some similar people the same ones that we were in oppenheimer at earlier so what is it about this double feature concept that's bringing people to the theaters what do we think is going to happen with studios are they going to try to replicate this is going to be something that are they going to learn the wrong lessons about this? Or are they going to start being like, oh, what audience wants is it wants is two extremes and that's it. Or are they going to learn that you got to let the audience, you know, draw into things that are going to be unique and creative. And, you know, Barbie was an incredibly unique film.
1: Regardless of if the studios learn this lesson, I think Mattel has learned this lesson well, because they've greenlit how many projects now?
0: They've learned a lesson. So Mattel's projects, like the next one that we're getting is that Barney movie from Daniel Kaluuya that he's comparing to an A twenty four surrealist horror, and now they've put forward. I think it was announced they put forward like forty five things are in development now from Mattel. And I mean, Uh, while many years ago Deadpool came out, first Deadpool movie did really great in theaters, and James Gunn had an article online talking about how he loved the movie, but he fears that Hollywood is going to draw the wrong message from it, and he says the message they're going to get is that. R-rated vulgarity is what sells, and he's like, what they should be drawing from this is to allow and trust your audience to enjoy comic-accurate things. Trust your audience to be able to hear an F-word every so often or see something a little bit bloody and sexual and not have it turn off the whole movie to them, you know, even within that genre. And I'm thinking about that now, and I think, you know, we don't want to suddenly have, we don't want to suddenly get to the point where it's like an art house David Lynchian. A movie from like 1993 or something like that. Like, I don't, I mean, I love David Lynch, but what I'm saying though is that, like, I don't want to see a movie in the vein of like Mulholland Drive and suddenly, at, you know, see a trailer for that, have it be the weirdest thing ever, just for it at the end to be like, coming this summer, hungry, hungry hippos, you know what I mean? Like, it's gonna be that's the lesson I'm kind of worried they're gonna take from us, yes, because not everything was gonna need the same treatment, and we see this time and time again 3D after Avatar cinematic universe after marvel sequels in the 80s for horror remakes for horror in the two in the late 2000s like this is what i'm saying though is like we are we're gonna see a situation unfortunately unfortunately where some studios are not gonna learn i'm hoping 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 that mattel has learned the right lesson here because they actually have quite a toy box to play with if they're letting artists actually be in creative control
1: a literal toy box
0: a literal toy box. I know I was very careful about that terminology.
1: <laughs> I would I would also I would also say that I hope that this doesn't just become the next MCU. Because when Iron Man 3 came out and we started getting more comic book movies, and I'm such a huge fan of comic book movies. I was reading X-Men I was a kid. I never thought I'd live in a world where I got to see all of these crazy comic book characters in real life with the effects they have. Yeah. However, it is undeniable that we are oversaturated with comic book movies and and big and yeah. and that kind of thing yeah. now.
0: So, Sorry, go on.
1: So, I just don't want to see the industry inundated with only this. I I think we should. I think as as an industry and when we're making movies, we should go forward and be creative and try things because if all we're doing is copying the latest success,
0: yeah. I mean, we had about a five-year period or three-year period here where multiverse has been the big hot word, and that's primarily between, well, I was going to say primarily between Marvel, but in reality, Marvel, DC, Sony, Marvel, and A24 all did it, with uh, everything everywhere at once. But I I would be fair to say I'm not going to put the A24 one in that same bubble that was completely completely written outside of uh, trying to chase a trend. But, you know, the Barbie, you are right. Like, what's going to happen is studios are looking for the next tentpole for them to live off of. They, you know, that Marvel's holding off X-Men for a while. We still don't know when X-Men is going to happen because they know that they only have certain cards they have left to pull. We're seeing DC, you know, DC has had a number of issues and we're about to see if James Gunn can flip that, which I'm sure he will. Actually, I'm, gonna look forward to, I'm looking forward to my Legacy. But now I think what we're going to get into is exactly this. I think our more straightforward Ted Pools are going to be video game adaptations after things like Super Mario Brothers, Last of Us. And I can see this being the direction where you start having a lot more auteurs try to do their studio debuts. Because you're going to have all these indie people being like, what's this? Hasbro is going to let me do a G.I. Joe movie that's actually a, P- a movie about the PDSD and the effects on war of wartime veterans? All right. Sounds great. You know what I mean? Like, I think we're going to start seeing that more often tell what you're saying, but they're gonna have to be careful because they got to make sure that we're not that we're not going to just turn these fantastic scripts into an opportunity to sell and sometimes give the script that doesn't have the IP the IP budget. Yeah, but then the argument could be made: Barbie did just come out, it came out this past weekend, did incredibly well. There's a lot of arguments being made online about if we made more movies. Starring star and woman with female power views, we'd be seeing more women go to the theaters. And the unfortunate truth is Joyride just flopped, which is exactly that, you know, Joyride just flopped, a no hard feelings, different movie, but it was a female lead still. And it's like, regardless so these are the sorts of things where I'm like, these statements come out constantly. You constantly have people talk about like, Oh, all it ever is, is remakes and sequels. And the like, and I hate when people say that because they don't know any, they don't know anything coming out past Star Wars and Marvel and Fast and the Furious. It's crazy to me how often people who describe themselves as movie fans, all that, have a complete like shelter watershed for anything under a certain level of notoriety.
1: But having said that, I we shouldn't disparage people calling themselves movie fans and say that they're less than because they haven't
0: seen the same things of us. That's probably just my my own pretentious movie nerdness coming out. That's not fair. <laughs> that's not fair. That's that's biased.
1: But Every, everyone should enjoy the movies they like
0: regardless though, of other people what i'm saying I mean, that's not what i'm saying though what i'm saying is when people are talking about how there's only this is this, this coming out because they uh, they would call themselves like movie fans and all that but then capsulate themselves off at a certain point they don't even know 90 percent what's in piece you may people will make arguments as if it's definitive that's all sequels remakes this that well it's like no it isn't <laughs> no it isn't last year alone the movies with the most legs ended up being original ips
1: oh yeah you
0: know it's like eh, and that's kind of what I was surprised about. Like when the conversation comes about Barbie, I bring up Joyride. People haven't seen Joyride. And people talk about, oh, all good movies all are all good movies nowadays are just blockbuster stuff. And I'll bring up, you know, last year one movie I liked in particular was a movie called Fall. It's not everyone's sin, but people are talking about like there's no original things anymore. It's like this was a perfectly simple movie that has no explosions or anything and kept the intensity up like crazy. And nobody's seeing it. Except I think people actually and that became like a huge Netflix hit though later on. It didn't do well its original run. It goes on Netflix. I think Netflix is producing a sequel now. But now, as a perfect example. Go back to Oppenheimer on this one too. Is that what I'm hoping is Hollywood is going to learn a lesson from Barbie? But I'm also hoping they learn a lesson from Oppenheimer. And I'm hoping that lesson is give us movies like this in theaters again. Give us ensemble casts talking about things that have happened. Give us ensemble casts just acting their hearts out. I saw. This movie had one of those stacked casts I've seen since Duel. Both of them did. Both of them did. Had one of those stacked casts I've seen since Doom. but I would say, between the two of them, Oppenheimer, Barbie had great performances, especially from Rob- Ryan Gosling and Margot Robbie, Rhea Perlman. Fantastic performances. With Oppenheimer, I would argue that of the main five, six people, you can give each one of them a supporting acronym. Like, That's true. I haven't seen Robert Downey Jr. act like this since, like, the first Iron Man.
1: And... What I also really like about Oppenheimer is none of the characters are perfect. There's no good or bad guys. Everyone is very shades of grey and nuanced. And there's no, like... There's definitely talks of, like, moral ethics in that. But, like, as you're watching everything unfold, it's... It's in... I can understand how it happened the way it did. With all of the factors in there. If you just look at the whole thing, you could say building that ball was wrong. But then you look at the current political climate, you look at the way the government was, you look
0: yeah. at... And I actually want to use that segue to kind of open up another point about this, because part of this episode is not just talking about the movies, we talk talking about the, the phenomenon behind this double feature. I want to talk about, there's been a recent uptick I've noticed. You have the... yeah, I I am a decidedly very left-wing person. I'm open about that online. I'm very, I'm very open talking about that. But what I will say is whereas you have the right going berserk over barbie calling it anti-man calling it you know oh my god it's woke and it's first of all somebody define woke to me please Uh, and but when it comes to oppenheimer i'm seeing a huge this engine is woke. this engine is woke everything i don't like is woke but yeah donald trump is woke Uh, (laughs) let's see how that goes what i find interesting though with oppenheimer is we're seeing a similar outrage for a lot of the left on oppenheimer saying that they're trying to glorify the atom bomb that there it should have been from the perspective of japanese people it should have been you know i don't want anything to do with nazis or anything like that and what i find crazy about the movie you don't see a single nazi in the whole movie the japan is i i'll just make this point clear if you want to see something about japan from the perspective for the atom bomb there's a incredibly heartbreaking movie called grave of the fireflies bring tissues bring tissues and buckle up because if that's the movie that you keep saying you want to watch go watch grave of the fireflies then tell me how you feel after
1: (laughs) i also believe there's several movies in japan from a japanese perspective
0: yeah of this very thing so yeah there's also a fantastic uh, super super harrowing movie from the early 80s called early 90s called threads which was a uh, movie about the after effects of a fallout of a, a nuclear blast. And it was a harrowing, harrowing movie. Uh, devastating stuff. Beautiful film. But Oppenheimer wasn't about that. <laughs> no. Oppenheimer was a film about a guy who had political leanings that are uh, at odds with the go- very government's, governance that funds his desires to try to increase the scientific achievement. You have some of the best scientists in all of America working together on this. Like, are you trying... And you have America trying to, uh, you know, demonize the head of this after they already got what they wanted out of them. And then, you know, he's trying to fight with the AEC to help atomic uh, uh, atomic energy uh, move forward, electronic energy move forward, and he's just being shut down at every single point. This movie is not about some harbinger of deaths who brought forward the end of all this world. This movie is about a scientific uh, what happens when the scientific mind and the people who have these gifted abilities what happens when those in charge, those who want power, those who want money, and those who want war use up use them up and spit them out. Like perfect example is Robert Dana Jr. in this whole movie, Louis Strauss. And I feel a little better talking about this one because this is all history. But Louis Strauss is a good example of somebody who, yeah, you see in the movie. He truly thought that all of Oppenheimer's motivations were to target him. All of his things were all of his things were for these illusions of grandeur and all that. And he had the other side the uh governance of it all trying to say oh all oppenheimer wants is to feed secrets to the soviets all this stuff because he had left-wing leanings which at the time were enough for people to not be considered uh as part of like the manhattan project as they say this having left-wing liberal values at this time was not considered an american treat. yeah and crazy to think how we are nowadays in comparison uh how how much more mainstream left-wing views have become uh but that's what this movie's about. It's not about this guy harboring death. It's about this person who got run through the system uh to do something that he was so distracted by the achievement and the goal of the scientific mind. So what you end up having is this guy who's been run through the system and and chewed up and spat out. And what I find kind of crazy is how anybody can see this movie and think to themselves, "Oh, this is glorifying." uh violence this is glorifying uh this is glorifying death and he has that line where he's like i have become death harbinger worlds i can't remember what the exact line is but he has that line we sees the bomb and he can see that that's the exact moment that he just clued into what they just put onto the world
1: yes i also love that christopher nolan um used the same effect behind him that they use for scarecrow
0: yeah it was a fun little thing right when he's doing uh he's inside that meeting with all the people and he's doing the celebration thing with all side this you see the effects start rumbling behind it It it's the same thing for the fear talks and as batman begins also by also killian murphy uh that was a really cool that was a really cool throwback to nolan's own movie and you know the the thing is like this is what i'm kind of talking about though when people um, are politicizing whether or not to even see the movie which has been a big thing happening recently, I've been finding, with a lot of movies that have been coming out. Like, uh, Sound of Freedom, with an example of one recently. that kind of had a similar um, political uh, hijinks behind it. Yeah. <laughs> Not going to get into that. Anybody can look up Sound of Freedom to know anything that's been going on with that one. But when it comes to Oppenheimer, I feel like, especially when we're in today's day and age, where we just got out of the pandemic, and we've seen how governance uh, looks at science and treats them. So... For people to decide not to see a movie that truly is on the side of listen to the scientists. Yeah. I, it blows me away that in this day and age as people try to say through some sort of uh, standing that they wouldn't see the movie based on these reasons. I think the double feature in itself is going to draw a lot more people towards this. And I'm really open for more movies like this because I think there's a whole world of historical events that we could be seeing in these styles again. Like, I want to see more movies like All the President's Men. I want to see more movies like JFK. I want to see more movies like Born on the Fourth of July. You know, I want to see more movies like Patton or uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, which actually was a fantastic remake that came out last year. But I want more of these movies where you just have actors coming in. uh, You know, you have the benefit of, you were saying earlier how none of these characters in Oppenheimer are necessarily one side or the other, good or bad. And I think that is a huge benefit you get from adapting history is that people are not good or bad. Everyone's morally great except for maybe Keanu Reeves.
1: I will just say his wife
0: does not love her children. Oh man, Kitty? Kitty Oppenheimer? Who was played fantastically by Emily Blunt, by the way. She she had three jobs there. Drink up, hate them kids, and tell Oppenheimer and nut up and she did all three perfectly.
1: Absolutely, and I just want to say, even though she's playing an American, I would never want Emily Blunt to give me a scathing look. It's so angrily English.
0: Yeah, that's a good way of putting it.
1: She says something with her eyes and no handshake that is more scathing than any, like, all cap screaming could ever do.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you completely on that. Now, on a technical standpoint, you brought up the little point about Oppenheimer with the uh, vibrating effect in the background i want to point out too the actual cinematography of this movie was outstanding oh absolutely and i'll argue that it was outstanding in both oppenheimer and barbie because the barbie uh director of photography was none other than <laughs> rodrigo prieto who did such films as brokeback mountain the wolf of wall street argo and *Battle*. And is doing the upcoming Killers of the Flower Moon for Martin Scorsese. Also did the Irishman. This is the guy they got to shoot Barbie. <laughs> and it shows hard.
1: What I also loved about Barbie is it wasn't it was obviously about Barbie, but there was some there was so many influences. Like I definitely saw the influences to like singing in the rain and old musical yeah. set pieces and having it look kind of like a stage play in Barbie land. It yeah. works so well for that. that era, fantastical.
0: Totally. That era of fifties musical movies absolutely laid its claim in that movie. And it's, I was looking at it funny because it's not even the first time Margot Robbie has made a direct reference to uh these sorts of movies. Uh, in Birds of Prey, she has a moment where she's uh where she does the diamonds are a girl's best friend bit from Marilyn Monroe from, uh I believe a star is born uh, or general for blondes. And it's uh It's so funny. I love when I see these kind of references to old school cinema and these sorts of things. And, you know, I've seen in the rain is a movie I particularly love. And uh, anytime I can see a reference to it is always really nice. Um, Yeah. I just, this, what do you think goes, what do you think happens going forward now with this? This, this phenomenon is so big. It's been recognized by, the people from each film. Uh, Quentin Tarantino just posted pictures of himself this weekend buying tickets to both movies for a double feature. So, like, you know, the film bro of film bros is uh, backing up Barbenheimer. And where do you see the future of this? Like, I, I have my own thoughts of where I see the future of Hol- of where Hollywood's going to go after this. But, I, I mean, we have our hopes for how things are going to go. But
1: I hope that... Companies can 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 continue to take risks with their products because hiring Britain Gerwig for this was a risk. That's not something And Noah Bombach. And, I don't, I don't and, and, yeah. and, and Noah Bombach. I'm just more yeah, familiar with Greta Gerwig. Yeah, of course. Greta Gerwig and Noah Bombach. It's wasn't a usual decision. I really hope that uh That Mattel can go forward and actually just create interesting IPs with their products.
0: And not just Mattel, too. Like, it it doesn't have to be Mattel. It could be Mattel, Hasbro. Like,
1: what's kind of interesting is... I want a Street Sharks movie, personally. Live-action Street Sharks.
0: Do it. Directed by Francis Ford Coppola. (laughs) 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 What I will say, though, is... uh, I... I want them to be more creative, but it's actually indicative of a bigger thing happening in the industry right now. And uh, I will point out, most of our episodes of Martini Window are often recorded a few weeks ahead of time or a couple weeks ahead of time. This episode is going to be out. This episode that you're listening to is only recorded within about 24 to 30 hours before we release it. So this is going to be a lot more current, but with the current effect going on with the industry right now, SAG, of course, recently announced their agreement with fully independent companies, stuff like that. Uh, The studio system is going through a bit of a unfolding at the moment and this is all very very similar to the early era of hollywood when the studio system started to fall after started left electrical the likenesses united artists was created you had companies like colgate suddenly doing like the colgate Party special and stuff like that the movie hairspray does a good job parodying that kind of era of sponsored content like that but i actually kind of feel like weirdly we're in this new era that we're going to go into now of exactly this like the new era of sponsored content where it's like it's, you know, it's a road trip comedy about the about a father and son who haven't seen themselves in ages, but it's also kind of an A24 style indie drama. Anyways, go and see the new, I don't know, Tic-Tac-Toe movie. That's not a game. I understand that. Connect Four. <laughs> I want to see
1: a gritty movie about the reality of the people who are hired to be the Coca cola family the
0: I think there's a decent movie in there somewhere. <laughs> so this is exactly the way you should be thinking. Is this is exactly how people should think about it. If you had something like that, if Coca-Cola wanted to make a movie about the Coca-Cola family, you get somebody who can make some sort of interesting Truman Show type situation or, or something like that, or make some sort of weird, you know, the keep up with the Joneses type movie or something like that. Like, I, I guess that's my whole mindset is like, I'm really hoping that even if it means that we're entering some era of sponsored cinema again, sponsored content again, uh, if it can offer the opportunity for people to tell certain stories with the budgets necessary to do so, I guess I'm of the mindset of, like, it's at least original stories.
1: It's true. And it's very interesting. I have no idea where we're going to go from here. Like many points in history and time, it could go one way or the other. Yeah. People could learn the wrong lessons. People could learn the right lessons. Some people could learn the right lessons and some people could learn the wrong lessons. And this is just my personal opinion. Who's to say that my the things that I think are the right lessons are? Yeah. So I think it's going to be a very interesting time going forward. But it's definitely going to be at least until everything gets sorted out. We're going to get a lot of creative films because we're not going to have blockbusters. And speaking of, you know, historical biopics, I would love to see anybody do a Marilyn Monroe biopic where they actually talk about how she helped actors get their rights to their own
0: she helped take down the studio system? <laughs> like, how's this not the movie that we've been hearing, that we've been listening to every single time?
1: She was such an intelligent person, she took back power over herself. Yeah. And so... Even if it's not about her, let's just have a movie about how SAG got started.
0: Yeah, I mean the were uh, the actor strike from, uh, for I think that was the 1960s. Yeah, I think it was the 60s because I know Leonard Nimoy took part of those. Yeah, it's been long enough. Isn't it weird that that's how I earmark it? <laughs> I was like, well, I know Leonard Nimoy took part in there, so it must have been around the 60s. Like, um, yeah. And uh, what I will say though with this is like, I'm hoping. Studios take the right lessons. I'm hoping that the right lessons are things like don't, uh, you know, don't try to go grim dark. Don't try to, do... I want the lessons for them to learn to be, if you're going to give an IP to an artist, allow the artist to be an artist. Absolutely. Because I would argue the Barbie movie um, is just as much as it kind of puts a mirror to what Barbie's actually done in life. I would argue it's also very celebratory of Barbie as a character and as a item pop culture. Like, that movie does not decry Barbie. It's actually quite a actually it's quite a good commercial for Barbie no less.
1: <laughs> Within the Barbie movie, um, you have a mother and daughter and the daughter is very nihilistic. She's like, oh Barbie is just like a sex symbol giving us unrealistic expectations for our bodies. So you actually do get yeah. that voice. You do have a teenage voice who is a young girl now who should be the target yeah. of Barbie who is not influenced by her at all and sees everything about her as a negative because of the world she lives in now and then you have her mother who grew up on barbie and barbie helped her have dreams yeah and it's very interesting seeing both those perspectives
0: i totally agree like it shows that perspective i don't think you can make this movie without i don't think barbie's movie they can make without pointing out the fact that there's a lot of people who don't like barbie i mean what was it one of the first lines from the narrator in the movie is uh barbie was then created and then all problems with feminism and equality were solved for the rest of the time. <laughs> it's just something like that. And by the way, Helen Mirren is a narrator. of This was a amazing choice. Uh, yeah, Helen Mirren narrates the Barbie movie. Great choice, great casting. 100 points to Greta Gerwig on that. <laughs> I'm so, going to Oppenheimer, though, even on that, like, and the same thing, I want to be able to see more of these movies that are not afraid to take history and shoot them in a way that doesn't feel like you're watching some educational film from school right like he's making very creative choices in Oppenheimer during the hearing scene where uh his history with Gene Tatlock is revealed and the camera pans over and suddenly and suddenly it's all metaphorical but you see a naked Killian Murphy in the room with like Florence Pugh's uh Gene Tatlock on him yeah. stuff like that Tatlock the way that they showed that though to show exactly how Emily Blunt is envisioning this now and then just, or even just the shot before that, there, and he's naked in front of everyone. Because in that moment, it's like, in that moment, it's just Oppenheimer is, you know, is bearing all in front of everyone. And it's like there's elements here that, you know, a movie, le- movies from like thirty years ago are not going to try taking these more art- artistic approaches to moments in these sorts of films. That's true. And I want to see two things. I want to see proper budgets given towards things that are historical that are not that are not these you know, Hollywood style, uh, MCU blockbuster films, which I love and I see all of them because I am an absolute petulant for the cinema. (laughs) Um, but I see them all. And I, that's, that's great. But I would love to see more of these because I saw, I've seen Oppenheimer twice now and both times I've walked out with a new set of thoughts going out of Barbenheimer or going out of Oppenheimer into Barbie. There's actually a lot of carryover thoughts about Oppenheimer that also weirdly enough got addressed in Barbie. Is that which is so strange to me? Because, like, this is a moment in movie history that only happens organically. And another problem is that you're going to start getting a lot of studios trying to manufacture what just happened with Barbara. Yeah, I, I
1: can, I can see that, and I can see them being disappointed when it doesn't work because this was an organic thing the internet did. That's the point of the internet. You can't just manufacture it. Yeah, you can, you can advertise, but. Like people really have to pick it up, and within Oppenheimer, with um, with the way that uh, it was shot, we both noticed this, and I've seen I- I've seen online that other people didn't the hand on the back of Jean's head,
0: yes, when she was going into the tub. So, just to this is a big point, point. Right? and this will be uh, a big spoiler for Oppenheimer, but this is also a historical thing. Warning, warning, warning! Big spoiler here for Oppenheimer. So, Jean Tatlock, played by Florence Pugh. She's uh, in a situation of, Oppenheimer's left saying, I can never talk to you again, blah, 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 and she goes, and uh, the perception of the audience and history killed herself, because in real life, Gene Tatlock's actual uh, death certificate has listed as suicide. However, in the movie, you are correct, Kayla, in the movie, um, Christopher Nolan basically said, we all know that's not what happened, and there's that moment where you see the black glove-covered hand push her head under the water, and pull the and pull hand back out. And you are right. For whatever reason, on the internet, I do not see anyone pointing out this black hand. That was him pointing out like black glove hand. That was Nolan pointing out. We all know she got killed by the uh, people following Oppenheimer. We all know that. You know what I mean? He was being watched due to his uh, supposed communist interests. Literally goes to a known communist's home leaves her she knows he's part of the manhattan project we all know what happened and i want to point out Gail. i'm glad you said that because somebody's always to start pointing this out because that was a fantastic way to put it out in there and never mention it again
1: yeah Yeah. i didn't what i really liked about oppenheimer is christopher nolan was able to add all of these details without having to spoon feed it to you he lets you be an intelligent audience and notice things yeah and i'm sure if i rewatch the Oh, when I rewatch the movie, I will see many things I didn't see before from the first time because it's such a dense movie with so much detail. Yeah. And I, I really loved it for that reason. I I like that it's not a black and white
0: story. It's not the buzzer, black and white.
1: (laughs) In theme, in theme.
0: I think I figured out what that was too, by the way people were talking in the past about how the black and white color, oh, it's supposed to be when it's uh, before the bomb and after the bomb and all this. And I was thinking about that. And I think, I don't think it's before and after. I think the, c- cause there's elements where they showed color bits that would have happened after the bomb and stuff like that. Right. What I think it was is, and anybody is listening, please correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, what I gathered was every single time it was in color. It was from the perspective of, uh from the part of the story that was from the perspective of scientific drive and seeing the full spectrum of what's going on and what's to come everything to do everything in black and white was always scenes of trying to shut down shut it down and It had to do with the capitalist nature or the government's nature i noticed that so anytime that was black and white it was when the focus of science was not the focus of the movie does that kind of make sense
1: that does make sense it it's also very metaphorical and that you know like you have a lot of uh CEOs or politicians, and when your goal is when your goal is like money, or when your goal is power, because pe- let's be honest, people get into positions of power because they want power, and power does corrupt people naturally. Yes, and so I think it's uh it's very interesting that a lot of the time people in power who are like yeah war will get more we'll get more money from this see everything in black and white they don't see yeah. the nature of it.
0: Yeah. And actually, I think that's exactly it. They saw they saw it all in black and white. They saw it all. Well, you built the bomb, so you should have been uh, okay with it, right? If you weren't okay with it, why'd you build the bomb? It's like that's not how life works. It doesn't. It's not always that. You know, you wouldn't have done it if you uh, had the morality complex behind it. It's, you know that big hearing they have with them, and it's like you would have done it if you had the morality complex. it? Since it did, you guys went into this already targeting this guy, saying that he was somehow uh, capable of treason. Yeah. You think this is going to be the guy that's going to suddenly walk away from the project with all the information that you guys have that you gave him? No, he was set up to fail. He was set up to fail. And there's that beautiful uh, lie. There's that beautiful conversation between him and Einstein, where he says, "Oh, they're going to uh, then they're going to use you up and they never use never uh, talk to you again until many years they'll give you an award and they'll shake your hand and they'll say all is forgiven." But that's not for you. It's not forgiven. It's for them. <laughs> They're forgiving themselves. And that is a fucking poignant scene in that movie. And I love it. And what worse? Man, there's so much to take in with these two movies. It's actually kind of crazy. I'm glad we did this Barbenheimer double feature episode because I hope someone chooses Oppenheimer in the future. I hope someone chooses Barbie in the future. But I knew I needed to talk about this as it was happening. Because I think these two movies take on a couple things that are actually very, very, very prominent in our world right now. And what I find crazy is it's a very rare feat that you have two movies of this exceptional quality, of this weird marriage of Barbenheimer that the internet's created, where you have the opportunity to both see the folly of man as well as man's folly in the current day, which is what we've done to women in the real world and what we've done to scientists in that world up to now. And I think... There is a uh, that that's my mindset on this whole thing, and I think it's actually quite beautiful. The end has turned this into such a phenomenon because I think the discussion this is going to bring up is going to precede a lot of what we think are just going to happen in the box office. I think the effect of this is going to be a lot bigger than we expect.
1: And I would say that um, anyone who is upset about the ending of Barbie, it is making a statement about what humans do whenever there's a big hullabaloo. Yeah. About rights. Yeah. Then we. Go back to barely anything and give them robes and platitudes, and um, and anybody who is going to be upset about like oh well the Kens never got justice, blah 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 blah. The Barbie Land is the direct opposite of the real world. Yeah, the whole like the whole point of the movie is when the real world gets better, so will Barbie Land.
0: And Barbie is at a point in her life where she does not want to cater to. I'm not going to say that part. People can go watch the movie. Still, a legend, baby. This has been a very special episode of The Martini Window. We hope to do more of these sporadically as time goes on when the uh, situation calls for it. This was a very specific moment in movie history that we wanted to make sure to talk about. We've been excited about it for a long time. We've been excited for the Barbie movie for a long time and Oppenheimer. Uh, It was fantastic seeing these two in a double feature. If you have the opportunity, I absolutely recommend doing it. If Barbie is sold out and Oppenheimer is sold out, Joyride is still in theaters. And highly think people should go see joyride because we don't see movies like this often in theaters anymore thank you everybody for listening on our description our link we have a link to barbenheimer t-shirts get it while it's hot uh kayla anything to out on go watch barbenheimer correct all right oppenheimer let's go party